Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business with me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision and how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Project Future podcast. My guest this week is Janie Van Hall, founder of Voice Presence Limited. Janie helps leaders make an impact by creating a powerful personal presence, enabling them to connect with and inspire their people. Her forthcoming book, The Listening Shift, is a revolutionary approach to cultural transformation through listening. It's to be published in June 2021. In this episode, Janie talks us through her early career as a rather trained classical actress, how her business started by accident, and how she soon realised what she knew could benefit another audience. We talk about what can happen if you make yourself open to possibilities, how she first found pleasure enabling others to succeed, and how rigour can help you make better decisions. Janie explains how she's applied her specialism within academia, and the shift towards entrepreneurship for those exiting education. Looking forwards for you, Janie explains why the disruptive energy of being held back during the pandemic could be your opportunity to start a business. She shares how she helps leaders become more effective and how you can use your voice to get to where you want to be. We talk about what volunteering as a listener with the Samaritans has taught her and what she's learned from writing her book. Janie's best advice is to recognise what you can do best and use others for the things outside of it. Let's have a listen. Hello, Janie. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. No, I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. And from the help that you've given me so far in terms of my speaking and my presence, I'm really excited to hear the lessons that you give and the, the best advice that you can share with, with the wider audience. So I wonder if you can start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you went to start your business. Sure. Well, uh, my business... I feel a bit embarrassed having read your book, but my business kind of started by accident, actually. I I set out in life to be a classical theatre actress and I trained at RADA, which is the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. It was all dead fancy kind of actor training. And I really wanted to work in classical theatre for the rest of my life, but I had my children quite young and... Uh, you know, you just you can't be a touring actress or a theatre actress easily. I mean, I know some women do it amazingly, but I wasn't very good at juggling my life in that way. So I took a master's degree in voice because I thought I could still work in theatre, even if I wasn't performing. And coincidentally, as I was writing my 
dissertation, I met a, a woman on, from a bank on a beach in Norfolk. And she super generously said to me, would you be willing to do some work with uh, our MD of the bank? He's not he's not a great communicator. So I had a bit of alcohol confidence. So, so when she said to me, you know, could you, could you work with this incredibly senior figure? I just went, yeah, yeah, that'd be absolutely fine. Sure, I could help him. No problem. And then, of course, woke up a couple of days later thinking, what on earth have I agreed to? Because I'm an actress and this guy's a sort of super businessman. But actually, it was just great to realise that for someone like him, the skills that I had were incredibly valuable because I knew how easily he could make small adjustments to influence an audience. And that was really the start of something. That was the start of my business because... I think the timing was right, Rob, to be honest, but suddenly I was being referred to pe- other people in the bank and and then I was introduced to a business school where I'm still an associate today and and it's been very much word of mouth actually ever since. So it, it feels like a bit of an accidental business, but having said that, it was like the minute I stumbled on the right thing for me, I just loved it and, yeah. and so it's been a... A bit of an easy ride ever since, I have to say. No, that's great. And I, th- I think, you know, that, that coincidental meeting was lucky. But then after that, I don't see any luck. I, I think it's a, it's a right fit. And as you say, they spotted your skills. You worked out, you know, how you could serve that. And having just worked with that one client, yeah. then, you know, the fit was there and it was something to, to build from. Well, that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? When you when you suddenly find your place, and I think that's you know, I so wish I had your rigor around you know starting something and setting out very deliberately and intentionally. And when I started, I didn't have any of that, and I wonder what the possibilities could have been if I hadn't been so kind of oh, this is interesting. <laughs> Just stumble down this path. Having said that, I think you know for for some of us. If you're open to possibilities, then you can find yourself in in rooms that you would never have entered before. Do you know what I mean? So actually, I'm I'm sure there's room for both. Yeah, absolutely. There's always room for all, all sorts of ways of working and going about things. So so voice presence now uh, yeah. moving forwards, you do training, uh, personal development, leadership, all of all of that kind of thing. So what's the typical kind of day or working pattern that you have within the business? Ah, it's such a great question, Rob, because the thing is, what the, one of the reasons I love my work is there isn't one really. And I must tell you that, you know, before the pandemic, life was, I mean, I live in Bristol. So most days in a week, I would get up around four or 4.30 and travel to clients to either run a full day workshop with a particular team or people from an organization, or I would travel to a business school to run a session on a leadership development program, or I would be working with individual clients on specific or particular scenarios or situations. So it was a real jumble of individual work, small group work, conference speaking work. Um, But it was every week was phenomenally different. But 
I mean, different businesses. I mean, I have been blessed to work with people in a mine, not in a mine, but directors of a mine in Australia. I've worked in investment banking in New York. I've worked in uh, Dubai in consulting. I've worked in Europe. I, I mean, there's just such a range and what's been fascinating about that, and one, one of the things I've really appreciated is, I think because I'm not challenging anyone's business strategy or technical capability, but I'm able to help them be more effective, I've just been welcomed in all sorts of industries. And that has been marvellous because, of course, as an actor, when you're so curious about what people do and how they do it, to find, you know, to find myself in a pharmaceutical company somewhere upstate New York is just so funny, you know, and having conversations with these amazing scientists, for example, who are developing incredible life-saving drugs, uh, you know, and I have absolutely no idea what they do, but I am able to help them do it better because I can see how they could communicate more effectively and, you know, I'm very pragmatic, so I'm able to offer them quick fixes, if you like, or, or things that will change the way people interact. And that's as appropriate in a pharma pharmaceutical company in upstate New York as it is in, you know, a financial services organisation in the north of England or, you know, a corporate a telecoms company in London. I mean, it's just wherever leaders are there is a need for great communicators so you know I don't have a particular industry that I specialize in but hilariously will find myself acting as some kind of observer advisor supporter in such a range of businesses organizations not-for-profits um, the government the NHS I mean <laughs> when I look back yeah. over a 20 odd year career it's just so fascinating to have seen so much yeah I love it and I think it keeps things fresh as well doesn't it you know having Ooh. that that type of business is, it, I, I can empathize with you as a project manager it's yeah. very similar you know I've, I've worked in a range of industries over the years remarkable variations and no two projects are ever the same you know there's there's different outputs there's different technology there's different stakeholders there's different cultures you yeah. know and and keeping things fresh even though you're offering a similar service those variables really do help to keep things exciting and, and to make it what you want it to be. Yeah, do you know, that's such a great point because actually I've noticed recently people, you know, I'll get messages from people that I might have met years ago and they'll go, oh, are you still doing this work? And that kind of, that affects me in the way that I think, oh God, you know, does that mean I should be doing something else? <laughs> but you're so right because it's, Every situation is different. Every combination of people, every industry is different. And so that keeps it completely fresh. That must have a real parallel with project management. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, it does. Yeah, mm. there's there, there's absolutely, absolutely parallels in there. And, you know, offering the framework, you know, I always say that as a project manager, I'm there to help the team succeed. Mm. I'm not necessarily the brains or the specialist behind any of it. I am literally there to to support and make everybody win effectively. And I, I think there's definitely parallels there between what you do. Well, it's funny, you know, I, sorry to um, drag myself back, but I remember, I mean, of course I trained as an actress, an actor, and uh, that's what I had dreamed of doing. But my first job was with a small touring company called the Cherub Theatre Company. And, and we went to Iraq. That was literally my first experience of being on stage was in Baghdad. 
And it was at the time where in order to work as an actor, you had to be a member of the Actors Union Equity and you you couldn't join the union without a job. So it was a bit of a catch-22. And Cherub gave me a, a membership. So it was a brilliant gift and I had this incredible job in Iraq and Pakistan. And then we went to Africa after that. It was incredible. But part of my responsibility was an assistant stage manager, which meant in some of the production, I was responsible for getting actors' costumes ready, doing the ironing, putting the set. I mean, it was a proper early entry job. And I loved that part of the job so much. When I reflect now, I think, gosh, actually, I was much happier enabling the other actors to do their job brilliantly than I was actually doing it myself, which I think is so interesting now that I realise my life is really in service of helping other people be the best that they can be. And I'm much happier doing that than I was kind of leaping about on stage <laughs> in a funny costume. <laughs> yeah. And, and it takes that kind of experience to realise it, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, as, as well. And I think, you know, say you go back to your conversation in Norfolk, you know, your coincidental meeting, you know, you wouldn't have said yes, alcohol or otherwise, if there weren't things there that resonated with you. And yeah. you thought, okay, yeah. There could be an option here. There could be a there could be an answer. There could be a business at the end of it. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I think it's those early experiences often that they have a place and they will come out. You know, when the time is there to to kind of reflect back and yeah. and then push forwards. So yeah, no, I, yeah. I think it's a really interesting part of of your your story. Well, thank you, but I think it is also in terms of starting your own business. I'm not saying get drunk to start your own business. But <laughs> I think there is that moment where you. I'm very good at talking myself out of stuff. And I can wake up in the morning and go, oh, that's a brilliant idea. God, that's brilliant. I'm going to do that. But then I'll spend the rest of the time just thinking, oh, yeah, but you shouldn't. You couldn't. It probably won't work. You know, all of that kind of stuff. And actually, I think there is, I was lucky because, you know, I committed to something before I had a chance to talk myself out of it. And I think, you know, it takes a lot of courage to start your own business. However small, there's a lot of what if it doesn't that can go round and round in our minds I think absolutely and and that's a large part of Project Future you know it's mm. a large part of why I wrote it because I think once once you've asked yourself all the relevant questions you'll have the answer and there's there's no getting away from it then there's no kind of saying well what if because by asking the right questions you will you will be in a position to say yes I can take that level of risk yes I, I do have that amount of finance yes I do have that amount of time mm. yes I do have family support or otherwise mm. uh, and and you know I, I think that's that's okay to getting started and I think the courageous step really is to is to find out is to to do the research mm. um, and once that's been done then you're ready yeah and I, you know I think that actually that is you know I wish that I had had Project Future back then, actually, because I think there, you know, especially for someone like me, I don't know if any of your listeners are like me, but, you know, all this kind of, oh, no, I, don't, I wonder if that will work. Maybe it won't. You know, and actually when you've got the rigour of being able to, OK, well, let me sit down and work through this framework. You know, it was only when I started working in business schools that I realised that there were things like that out there, that you could actually apply a kind of SWOT analysis to things and that you could actually have a way of setting a strategy I knew none of that so that's been a bit of a learning journey for me and I you know wish I'd had it sooner 
<laughs> Let, let's look at that. So the, the business school element of it, you, you said that you got involved in one fairly early on. Mm. So how did that relationship come about and how has it continued? What have you delivered for them over the years? Well, there were two that happened concurrently, really. I mean, part of my uh, dissertation when I was doing my master's in voice was about how to create presence. And I wrote to the London Business School and said, would I be able to test out some of my hypotheses and stuff with your MBA students? And happily, they said yes. So And actually, I ended up working for the London Business School for about 20 years, running short sessions on impact and presence, making an impact in interviews, for example, uh, creating presence in front of an audience. And also, I did a lot of work uh, with non-native speakers of English, a lot of people using business English as a second, third, sometimes even fourth language. So that was a really exciting time. And the other business school was Ashridge Business School, which is now Ashridge Hult International Business School. And this was a a referral. I was introduced to somebody there. And that's been a 20 plus year relationship where I've worked on so many different leadership programs, always with the specialism of helping leaders think about influencing others and making an impact in the sense of being able to inspire or engage audiences through largely through presentation and then also through conversation. And, you know, as a result of working in those business schools, I've been blessed to work in a number of others around the country as well. So it's a fascinating environment because people are just hungry to learn. I don't know if you work in business schools, Rob, but they just, you know, they're not there to waste their time. (laughs) They're there to get stuff. Yeah, indeed. Um, it's, always, it's always great to be working with people that are so open and yeah. and, and open to, to listening. You know, I, yeah. I think listening is, uh, is such a key skill. And uh, I say it's, it's not something I've done yet, but something that I'm very open to. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd really like to work within some business schools and to take Project yeah. Future into business schools as well, because I, I think for people coming out of, of education, I think the world is so open now and it's such an exciting place um, to, to start a small business. Um, you know, yeah. it wouldn't necessarily have been thought of, you know, 20 years ago. That is now a viable career path. And helping people to see that early on, um, I think, saves potentially saves any wasted time for the right people as well. So, so yeah, very interesting environment. It's a good point, actually, because I think certainly at London Business School, and then I had a long relationship with Imperial College as well, where, you know, there's a, a big emphasis on entrepreneurship in both of those schools, but actually when I first started, most people were there because they wanted to go into investment banking or consulting or, you know, so actually, I think the shift towards entrepreneurship has really increased as people realise that they can take responsibility for their own future. Yeah, indeed. And and certainly, although they may start in that, that type of career in, you know, in, in those type of large corporate businesses, it's hard to retain. The, the the staff um mm. so we're, we're, we digress a bit but i think it's very hard to to retain them now and i've i've worked in some of those companies and it's it's so often that you see that when they leave they don't leave for a competitor they leave for a startup or they leave yeah. to start their own business yeah. um and yeah the, the the shift that we've had culturally and opportunity wise over the last kind of 10 to 15 years yeah. um i think has been been huge and for for those companies they do have that level of competition that they didn't necessarily have before yeah so, and and i think this will be very interesting post pandemic as well because i think you know it's 
A, it's given people a sense of, if not now, when. There's a lot of disruptive energy that arises often, especially from uh, being held back. You know, so I think there will be a a burst of people going, do you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing. But also I really... I really think that we've experienced a bit more of a community connection. And I think people will turn away from the huge, uh, you know, it's interesting, some of the big supermarkets during the lockdown periods, you know, huge queues outside the supermarkets would just make me go, do you know what, I'm just going to go to the local greengrocers, to the local bakers, just have an instinct that we will go back to something that's a little bit smaller more agile more responsive in and, and more of... personal as well Ooh, you know very yeah. much more very much more personal so yeah I, I think you're right and and i hope so you know i, yeah. I you know i think the, the the level of choice that's out there and some of the businesses that you know i've witnessed be started over the last year or so uh, have, have been fabulous and very tailored to uh, you know a specific niche uh, mm. and solving a specific problem so so yeah very very exciting times ahead and i think a lot of the things that we're going to take place in this decade anyway have, have maybe been fast forwarded by by the pandemic and hopefully now we're coming out the other side we can start to see the, the benefits of some of that so. so you talk about helping leaders become more effective mm. and you know that's that's a great line I, I i love that so how how would you go in when you're first starting to potentially work with a new company and how would you pitch to them the benefits that you can offer uh, because I, I can see it um, but mm. i can imagine it can be quite tricky to see sometimes so how would you pitch and you know how do you then follow up that conversation I mean that's such a good question Rob that because I have before the pandemic never even had a website you know I'm I sort of made a virtue of being invited so that would mean that usually someone would email me or call me and say look we've got a challenge here we've got uh, what we've got let's say uh, we've we've promoted somebody really special to the board. They're very low in confidence. It's a a real stretch promotion for them. We we need somebody to help them communicate really effectively at board board level so that they're seen as credible uh, as they hit the ground running. And I would go in and then usually I work in sort of three sessions and those sessions would be three hours, up to three hours long. So I mean, you're talking kind of nine or 10 hours work with somebody. And that usually starts, of course, with a whole rapport building um, exercise. And, you know, the the thing with working with someone who's an actor is we're pretty intuitive. So although I've got a lot of tools up my sleeve, I tend to work fairly intuitively. And the observations that I make, you know, I will use myself. So I will say, I notice when you talk, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm breathing a bit shallowly because I'm feeling a bit anxious and I'm wondering where that's coming from let's explore that so I I use myself to reflect what other people might also experience I mean of course it's still my view but I've experienced enough to be able to give good clear objective feedback in many ways And and then we would continue to explore different tools to get that person to a certain place of confidence and then what tends to happen is a positive experience leads to other requests. So actually, the thing that I am not good at is cold, not, I don't want to say cold calling, but I don't tend to pitch for business. It it has heretofore fallen in my lap, which has been great. 
um, because, you know, it can be a very organic process. And I've learned over the years. I mean, I've never had a job, Rob, to be honest. I've always worked for myself and I'm 54 now. So yeah. uh, actually, I've learned to trust that things will just come. Yeah, it's, it's a great way to be. And we know a painter and decorator locally here who has like an eight month waiting list. And, you know, he, <laughs> wow. he doesn't he's got a mobile phone and that's it. And yeah. it's not even a camera phone, no website, no mm-hmm. anything. But he's got an eight month waiting list. And you know that if you if you want him to come and do anything for you, yeah. you need to plan. You need to have that project yeah. in the diary um, yeah. or it's or it's not going to happen. And I think that's really interesting because he sounds like me, you know, I mean, I could have at one stage grown a business where I had lots of people like me, but I, I felt that that would disconnect me from doing the thing that I can do. So actually what I, what I've tended to do is become more expensive, but stay an individual. Uh, I mean, I do use uh, fellow actors and journalists and stuff from time to time, but essentially I'm selling myself. But it's all your choice, isn't it? Mm. You could have done it differently, as you say. You could have built a, a wider business with, mm. with staff and with processes and with yep. a really detailed website and all that kind of thing. But yeah. you chose not to. I don't think I'd have been very good at that. <laughs> yeah, but that is success, you know, if, if that's what success means for you. And and as you say, the, the demand side of things does mean that, you know, for, for certain clients, you can you can put prices up and things as well. So Yeah, yeah. I think, I suppose, in terms of knowing what you offer, you know, I I tend to work mostly very senior levels of an organisation. I mean, that's how I started out. So I didn't I didn't necessarily mean to do that, but it's usually fairly senior people. Yep. And so you can charge a bit more for that because the value is more significant. And the impact that they will have in the organisation is greater as it's well. Absolutely far greater. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, God... That's so exciting for someone like me. If I'm crafting how someone can communicate their strategy with them, I, I mean, I just think, God, how fortunate I am. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not stupid, but I'm not a, you know, I'm not a strategy expert. But actually, it's so lovely to to be able to be a fresh pair of eyes and to be able to offer the challenge of the listener, you know, to be able to say, I don't understand that. And if I don't understand it, some of your audience won't understand it. How are we going to do that? It's just so exciting, even though I could say I've never experienced actually living that because, like I said, I've never had a job. Yeah, but you need to be able to have an independent view, I I think, in in so many of those positions, especially when it comes to communication and influencing, you know, inspiring, all of those kind of great things. There, There needs to be somebody that's removed from it to yeah. be able to help with that well so. that's true because I'm not afraid to challenge and actually you know at my age I don't care I'm not bothered by status so <laughs> I can be really frank and direct you know I will say to a chief exec I am bored to tears by what you're saying. <laughs> I'm hating it so I'm wondering what we can do about that you know and and actually I, I sort of flatter myself that I can do it with enough humor and warmth that it's not threatening but no one else will tell them that I'm sure you do. And I'm sure they appreciate the honesty as well. Oh, well, apparently. It can be hard further up an organisation to get someone that will tell you, you know, exactly what they think. So. I think so. Yeah. It can be a lonely place, can't it? <laughs> yep, certainly can. So in terms of individuals starting their own businesses now, yeah, how do you think they can improve their communication skills and use voice in order to to help them to get where they want to be? 
Well, I mean, what? of course, I'm going to say this, Rob, but actually, you know, a lot of us now are communicating online. And yeah. I think it is really important that we focus on this as a lifelong skill. It's a bit like, you, you know, you talk in your book about running and, and setting yourself the challenge of running a marathon, you know, you and to do that in any way, shape or form, you have to train. And the trouble with communication skills is because we're talking and listening all the time. We we assume a certain degree of capability. But if you think about performers, it is as much an investment of their time and love and commitment as an athlete training for a race. So I would say, you know, it's it's a real practice of watching what you think works, for example, on TED or watching communicators that you think do it really, really effectively, making notes about what you think they do really well, trying it out yourself, recording yourself and playing it back, watching yourself on video and going, oh, God, my background is a disaster. You know, how, how can I how can I be easier to look at? How can I be easier to listen to? And it's it's really a discipline. And I fear that we lack the discipline because it's not sexy and it's not new and it's not it's not even that fun. It's a bit painful listening to yourself, do you know? Um, yep. But if you want to convince or pitch or engage a client successfully, you've got to take it seriously and take it on. It's it's essential. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And I think at the same time, it, it needs practice doesn't it it, yeah. it it's it doesn't come overnight you know yeah. I, I i speak regularly about the the two minute video that i put up looking for contributors to the book you know back in in january 2020 early january 2020 mm-hmm. and you know it took me two days to prepare and record that two minute video because i i just wasn't ready and <laughs> i wasn't happy with what i was saying yeah. and you know and it took me several more than several you know iterations before i was happy with the version that i was willing to put online wow. and that i thought would you know would good for you encourage the the right people to kind of step forwards and say yeah i'll do that what a great example that is rob and i you know i just think people look at ted talks and it looks like somebody leapt out of a chair and had a really good idea and they're going to share it but there's probably well i know there's six months of work in that six months of crafting exactly what you want to say and how you're going to say it and where you're going to stand and when you're going to pause and what you're going to emphasize and learning word after you know learning it until you can say it in the middle of the night in your sleep, just to look effortless. And I think that's really interesting. We want to, on video, look like we just, hey guys, you know, I was thinking it would be really fascinating to have some uh, contributors from, you know, but to do that, like it's a really easy moment for you, it takes a lot of work. It does, and it's it's the behind the scenes side of things, isn't it? And yeah. But it, it does get easier. I it think it's, it's the other thing, you know, it, I've, I, I've certainly found it's got easier. And But even a year in, you know, with that experience with me, when I, I first spoke with you in January and you mm. reviewed a video for me, I was amazed. I was quite pleased with, with the feedback that you gave in terms of the, the positives. But mm. I also saw how much work I still had to do. Mm. Um, so I think it's, a, as you say, you make a great point that it is an, it's an ongoing life learning skill. It is, Rob, because even now, you know, I've been on camera and on stage all my adult life and I still, even now, you know, I was listening to something I'd recorded recently for somebody else, another interview, and I listened back to it and I thought, God, I wouldn't want to listen to that. I sound like an absolute idiot. 
so it's a constant state of paying attention as it would be with your body actually as it would be if you were running if you keep doing the same thing all the time you will never get fitter you know you will never improve you have to mix it up and so the same thing applies with our attention to how we communicate yeah it's a great simile I like, I like that a lot and in terms of uh outside of your work with voice presence you work with the samaritans mm. don't you and, and mm-hmm. you've mentioned listening uh mm. you know it, as being a key part of the communication side of things that, mm. that you do so how how did that come about and what do you do to to help the samaritans as a listener well, I have always wanted to volunteer with Samaritans, actually, because I'm fascinated by people's stories. You know, I'm really curious about people's lives. And suddenly, once my girls had grown up and left home, I thought, well, I've, I've actually got time to do this now. I mean, the training for the Samaritans is quite rigorous and it's a it's a big commitment. But it is such a gift. And it's when I realised that I mean, I'm a skilled listener as a performer. You know, you have to learn to really listen. But I hadn't realised that I could just listen. And that's what Samaritans has taught me, is that I don't have to fix or solve. I can just be witness for somebody, give them the space to rant or rave or tell somebody that they've never met how sad they're feeling. And... So I I do probably one or two shifts a week. So it's about four to eight hours of time, often during the middle of the night, where we receive calls from people who are at a crisis point and all we have to do is listen to them. And we are trained to do it in a very careful way. But I think I've spent my life, and I'd be interested to hear this from you, you know, the work that we do is to solve other people's problems. So I listen to fix all the time. Someone say, oh, I've got a real problem with somebody else in my team. As I'm listening to them, I'm thinking, right, we've got to get them to do this. We've got to say this. We've got to do this. Whereas actually at Samaritans, all I have to do is pay attention, be present, reflect back a bit of what I hear, and just give somebody the space to share it. And it's really transformational. It's amazing how often people will say, you have given me such great advice. Thank you so much. And the irony is Samaritans are prohibited from giving advice. We can't. Even if it's an area of, you know, if if you're a doctor and someone's got a medical problem and you know what the answer is, you can't share it. You can only listen. But it's almost like as people talk, they solve their own dilemmas or challenges or they just feel better. And of course, it is remarkable how sometimes in crisis you you know, it will literally save someone's life just to say, I, I thought I was going to end it, but I feel a bit better. And that is, that's quite addictive in many ways, because you really feel like you've been able to do, especially during the pandemic. I mean, that sort of saved me in many ways, because I was able to feel like I could contribute in a meaningful way, even though I was just on the end of a phone listening. No, good for you, and it's it's a remarkable thing to to do and to to give back to society mm-hmm. as well in that way. And and I'm sure there's elements of that that have have crossed over as you've grown as a person that have then gone into your your business as well. And the way well, that totally, Rob. Actually, and that's how I ended up writing my book, which is called The Listening Shift, because 
what what I notice is we're all talking and we're all told to speak up and we're all told, told that we must have a voice. And, you know, I've noticed in the last couple of days about the Duke and Duchess of, of Sussex interview, you know, where she talks so much about feeling silence, not being able to to express how she feels and who she is. And actually, this is all about us talking. But of course, if we're all talking, who's listening? You know, and this is this is a big problem, I think, in organisations is that we don't have enough time. That's the thing about the Samaritans, of course, is that you have to give people space to talk. And I think in organisations, this is really limited because we've got a lot to do. People are so busy and that doesn't create space to listen. So my my thesis really is to start with listening, be curious and try to understand through listening and then think about helping people listen rather than just saying what you want to say so I think it's a it's a slight difference in perspective but of course we're not taught to listen I've been blessed with that teaching from the Samaritans but there, there's some research that suggests that something like only two percent of people are taught to listen we're all taught to talk that's a big difference as well and uh, I, I think even you know from doing this podcast for for five or six months now I, I find that the, the energy that comes from the guests tends to be in the second half of conversations Ooh. where you know, I, I, I listen and they get into a flow. They know their subjects. They know what it is that they do and how they can drive things forwards and the value that they add. But it, mm. it, it takes, you know, getting up to speed, talking before the real energy flows. And and more often than not, I find that the second half of the episode is is where the real gold dust comes, mm, you lovely. know, for, for, for that exact reason, I, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and yeah. actually, I think how fascinating as a podcast host it must do wonders for your listening because you're able to notice things like that and and you're there to listen really and facilitate a great conversation so that's yep. you know what a skill that's the idea i hope so <laughs> i've got a long way to go before i get to your standards i'm sure i don't agree I'm <laughs> so you mentioned your book um so i'd love you to tell us a bit more about it and about where the where the ideas come from and indeed if you know you know when it's going to be out it's going to be out on June the 29th, actually, which is very exciting. This is typical of me, Rob. I was walking along the river with my dog and I thought, oh, that'd be a good title for a book because the play on the word shift and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then I signed up to a book proposal writing challenge. I think you and I both know the wonderful publisher who runs it. And I mean, quite happily for me, i won the challenge. So it was really positive reinforcement for the idea of my book and and then was given a deadline. So I've, I've ended up writing really on the back foot because I hadn't really thought fully about what I wanted to say, but how fascinating that has been. Very distilling. I'm sure you found with writing your book, writing is actually a, a crystallization. It forces you to think, well, what do I actually know? Or forced me yeah. to think, what do I actually know? And and sometimes I would write a sentence and think, well, I mean, how am I going to back that up? How do I know that? And so then I'd have to dive back into the kind of research. And it's just been so fascinating and wonderful and, and actually has renewed my confidence in the work that I do, because it's almost like writing about it. It's made me go, oh, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the clarity that can come on on your subject by writing, whether Ooh. it's you know, something extensive like a book or a, a blogs or whatever it may be, mm. and anything that's published, I think it does add that clarity. And yeah, I was like you, you know, there were several sections that were maybe only two or 300 words long that yeah. 
I, I just started and parked, did some more research, parked it again, tried to write it, you know, threw it in the bin, yeah. um, you know, and then finally it comes, you know, it, it does, it, it, it will get there, you know, you, you will find the answer, but sometimes there's a huge amount of research that needs to go on to complete something that's relatively short. And uh, as I say, as a reader, similar to some of the other topics that we've touched on today, you know, as, as a reader, it seems seamless and, and it's there, but behind the scenes, oh, good Lord. Uh, there's a huge amount going on uh, to, to get to that stage. So, yeah. so yeah, well, I wish you every success with the book. Uh, I think it, it sounds wonderful and I look forward to, to it. I shall, of course, send you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, before we finish today, uh, there's four questions that I ask every guest. So I'd love to know what your best advice would be uh, for somebody thinking about starting their own business today. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is really fascinating, isn't it? Because there's so much. I'm an absolute shocker for thinking I can do everything myself. And what I've learned is that it is it is important to recognise what you can do. And then it is important to use other people for things that are not really your area of expertise. You know, don't get in a pickle with finances, get a good accountant, get someone who's really understands the kind of social media marketing or get someone to design your logo you know just don't try and do everything yourself you are the subject matter expert and it's tempting as a sole trader I think or as a small business when you're starting up to try and do everything yourself and my advice would be don't if you if you possibly can that yeah would be my, my number one absolutely and I think there is so much that can be outsourced quickly cheaply uh, and to a, a, a good quality as well. Mm. Not, not everything's suitable for it early on, but that can be can be a timeline. You could create a whole plan around outsourcing, you know, over over yeah. a three year period or something. Just say once I get to this stage, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. move that on, or somebody else will do that, or an employee will come in and do that. You know, however it may be. Yeah. Um, but but certainly, you know, early on, there's simple things that you can push on to somebody else that's in a better place to do it such as you know graphic design or something like that in my case you know not expensively you can get some really quality stuff uh, if that's not a uh, something yes. you enjoy you know. I love companies you know sites like people per hour and fiverr and stuff like that you think god there are amazing talents out there that are affordable so do yep. invest the time in that I think absolutely no it's, it's a great point so what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started your business Ah, oh, I have been the biggest Facebook snob. And, <laughs> and when Facebook was launched, I was like, I'm not going to do that because I just can't be bothered. But I'm really behind the curve on social media. And I'm and I'm a bit embarrassed, to be honest, about putting myself out there. I find that because I've never had to do it. It feels awkward for me. And and I think if I had dived into social media earlier, it, I would have been less intimidated by it. So I wish I had known how powerful it was going to be. Yeah. And and I think, you know, the how it's gone now, I remember it wasn't really that long ago. You know, it must only be kind of 10, 11 years ago. I remember there being conversations in the business press about how were Facebook going to monetize? You know, you had yes. all these people on the site, but how were they going to monetize? Um, yeah. And, you know, firstly, it was around adverts. Uh, you know from bigger companies and then it's it's kind of exploded um, mm. to advertising through smaller companies that are absolutely targeting a, a minute niche mm. um, you know through the power and the data that they they have yeah. but that wasn't always 
going to be the way it went. I don't think that it wasn't obvious for for a period of time and, until that kind of became the the route that it's gone down. Yeah, I missed that boat, and I, I oh gosh, I don't know, I don't know. I'm yeah, I I'm regretful about that. That is something I wish I'd wish well, I'd seen that coming. Wish I'd dived in. Well, the great thing about it now is there are people to help you with it. Uh, <laughs> going back to your first piece of advice you know there's That's very the, true the, there's yeah. a solution around that like like so many other things yeah <laughs> so is there a resource uh be it a, a book uh, a podcast a blog anything that you've you would really recommend to people at the very start of their journey well actually i have been introduced lately to a book called hype yourself which again i think in this world of recognizing that we must market ourselves so that we're not a secret I think it's a really easy and accessible read it's by a, a writer called Lucy Werner it is it's on my bookshelf and uh, uh, yeah and Lucy's just been so we're recording this on the 9th of March and uh, just last week Lucy was put forward as a finalist in the business book awards oh good for her I mean she you know it's a really for somebody, only because I've had more time lately and because I've been thinking about my book and the importance of putting it out there, I got Lucy's book as a way of just reflecting on the things that I have not considered or I'm not familiar with. I just found it a really easy read. And I think if you are selling a product or a service, there will be some gems in there that you would find very useful. Yep. And it's it's quite a short book, isn't it? It's quite succinct. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a lot of great tips in there. So yeah, a great recommendation. And is there a guest that you'd like to recommend to come on a future episode of the show? Well, I thought about this, Rob, and I and I don't know how you'll respond to the person that I'm going to suggest, but recently I've heard of a remarkable woman called Joy Clen Buffong. And she is from a charity called the Hackney Marsh Partnership. And she is doing the most remarkable thing, which is she's got a community of young teenage black guys who are feeding the poor in their community. And her energy and her vision for what she wants to do I just think is so incredible in in terms of starting from nowhere and influencing a really diverse and challenging audience I would love to hear how she went about that and to experience her energy and uh, I just think she's fantastic so yeah, it sounds amazing. Thank you. And I'm always looking for new perspectives and different angles. Yeah, I think that's really, you know, there are thousands of us out there running little businesses, but I, just some people are doing stuff that really says what's possible. And yep. I think I would love to hear that from her. Uh, it's brilliant. And uh, third sector is something that I do want to bring into the show uh, because, you know, I think as you spoke about with your experience with the Samaritans, there are crossovers and, and yeah. natural things that will kind of help but but certainly to singularly on it on its own I think that would be a great story to tell yeah so thank you I think you make a really great point which is that you know in the same way that we discourage businesses from operating in silos I think you know there is so much crossover in society and community and business and sport and art and culture and theatre and all that stuff and Actually, there's so much to learn from different perspectives, and that's it's yep. a real opportunity at the moment to harness that. Absolutely.
So brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And and just finally then, uh, if people want to get in touch with you and find out more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I would be delighted to hear from anybody. My website is voicepresence.co.uk and you can contact me at Janie at voicepresence.co.uk. And soon I also have the URL for listeningshift.com. So I will also be contactable as of June at Janie at listeningshift.com. Excellent. And on LinkedIn, of course, I'm just Janie Van Hool. Lovely. Well, brilliant stuff all around. And and thank you so much for sharing your story today. It's been really thank insightful. You. And uh, I've I've learned a lot and thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Rob. I've loved it. Thanks so much for, for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I always love the convergence between two very different industries. It's often where the magic happens and where something of true value can be created. There are similarities here with episode 24 with Krista Powell-Edwards in helping people appear more credible and thrive. And combined, I think they make an excellent case study on the subject. Back in episode 19, Ben Cameron's best advice was to avoid feeling that company growth needs to be continuous. And I think Janie is a great example of what can be achieved by focusing on what you enjoy and what your clients see valuable. Although her company has stayed small, Janie continues to grow through her volunteering at the Samaritans and through her book writing. The words she chose to talk about book writing, distilling and crystallising resonate so clearly with me as unexpected but very welcome outcomes of writing a book. I wish her continued success. Another topic that's come up regularly is the impacts that can be made for the next generation through education. Janie, of course, works with the universities. And since we recorded in March, I'm delighted to say I've agreed to take Project Future and my frameworks into a university. If you're in education or you know someone who is, I'd love to speak with you about guest speaking, delivering a workshop, or even developing a program to empower your students to make the right decisions and hit the ground running with their work in life. On next week's episode, I speak with Inna Armstrong on creating a global brand, which is also education focused. So subscribe now to get notified of this on Tuesday morning and like and share to enable us to empower more people. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.